Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this, the 41st episode of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of comic book, film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio straight to your speakers. I am of course joined by my very own boy wonder himself, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. How you doing? You alright? I'm alright. Long day? Very long day. Oh dear. We're moving on from our fandom special last time to talk about... um. DC fandom again, only this time we're going to be talking about part two, which covered more of the TV and comic book areas of the DC multiverse. But that is not all. We promised that we would move away a little bit from DC this time around. So in the news, we're going to be talking about Harley Quinn. Wait, that's DC. Um, And we're going to be talking about the future of DC Universe. Hey, that's DC as well. But we've also got stories on Star Trek and a whole bunch of stories from Disney+, Plus, which covers the worlds of Star Wars and Marvel. For our features this week, we are going to talk a little bit about that DC Fandom Part 2, as I just said. We're also going to review Christopher Nolan's huge return to the cinema, Tenet, as well as some film recommendations from myself, and a bit of a chat about the new young adult graphic novel Beast Boy, or Teen Titans Beast Boy, to give it its full title, uh, which, yes, okay, is from DC. And then we have some discussion feedback where we asked you what you thought of the overall GC fandom event. Without further ado, let us dive in on this week's headlines. First up in the news is the wonderful confirmation that Harley Quinn has been renewed for a season three and will be an HBO Max exclusive moving forwards. Very happy about this piece of news. Are you happy about this piece of news? It's exciting. I am over the moon about this one. We thought that we were going to be getting confirmation about this at uh, DC Fandom, which we did not. It seemed at that point that the cast and crew were still not sure as to what was going to be happening. And then, lo and behold, news came on Friday? Saturday? Friday, I think. I want to say Friday of last week that, uh, well, first it was Kaylee Kuroko had posted on her Instagram story to say she was going to be sharing some exciting news. There was a little gif of a bat and some lipstick kisses, so it was kind of obvious that she was going to do something Harley Quinn. And then uh, HBO Max shared a little image that was Harley and Ivy sharing a kiss and a glass of champagne toasting season three coming to HBO Max. We don't know when yet, actually. Uh, They aren't 100% sure on the release schedule for season three, so news to follow on that one, but really exciting for them. Uh, There's been a couple of little interviews with Justin and Patrick, the showrunners. Nothing major other than they don't plan on breaking up Harley and Ivy because they want to show them as as a functioning couple. Think like Sarah and Ava in Legends rather than get them together, just split them up again. And then the hilarious little piece where they said, we would kill essentially everyone or anyone on this show other than Harley, Ivy or Bane. It's a good choice. Here's top three. Any random ideas about what you would like to see in a third season? Any villains that you'd like to crop up that haven't cropped up yet? Um, No. I think this program, many things up for grabs. Literally. A lot of people on the interwebs would like to see Rachel Ghoul and Talia turn up somehow. I'd like to see Red Hood. That'd be an interesting mix. That would be interesting. Um... Another one that has come up quite a lot, which would be very, very contemporary, is Punchline. Oh, I'm not ready for that. No, I don't feel like I'm ready for that either, actually, to be fair. She's not... She's new. We don't really... There's a... You haven't read this yet, but there's a backstory for her in one of... I want to say it's Detective Comics Annual. There's been an annual of something recently that had a backstory to her, so you got to learn more about her. But I don't feel like we've spent enough time with her in comics for her to be ready to make the jump to live action or animation she's not got the the cv no not yet yet. not yet i would like to see more of this version of batgirl and i would like to see nightwing turn up a little bit more batfam i don't want it to become a batman cartoon i just want to see her go up against a bit more of the batfam but huge congratulations from us to uh kaylee and everyone in Team Harley Quinn. We look forward to plenty more adventures with you in the near future. Insert clap sound here. That looks awfully loud on the waveform. Next piece of news for today 
very exciting. This one is for those of you not in America, which is the confirmation that Star Trek Discovery Season 3 will air on Netflix and will follow the same release schedule as Season 1 and 2 and will air uh, the following day from when it airs on... I've used the word airs a lot there, on CBS All Access. So Season 3 will premiere on CBS All Access on Thursday, October the 15th, and then episodes will begin airing in the UK and internationally from Friday, October the 16th. Season 3 is going to see the cast, the cast, the crew, I mean the cast as well, of the USS Discovery flung like 900 years into the future, where Starfleet is almost no more and is a myth of the past. Interesting. Looking forward to potential crossovers here where could we see them have some sort of run-in with the weird tentacles from Picard the temporal Starfleety people that you love from Voyager many places that it could go that could tie back into other Star Trek which could be really interesting but yes nothing new on that front other than premiere date for the UK and international markets on October the 16th thumbs up or thumbs down for more discovery thumbs up to them Oh, very much. Next in the news, we've got three pieces of Disney+, Plus: one Star Wars and two, uh, two Marvel. So first up is the, the news that The Mandalorian Season 2 will return on October the 30th. And we have also got to see our first trailer for Season 2. Now, neither you nor I was particularly convinced on The Mandalorian Season 1. I have seen the whole of Season 1. Uh, I liked how it ended, but I... I have to say, I didn't really give it very good reviews all the way through because I just couldn't find the like that thing, that spark that would make me kind of get into it. I think you saw two episodes, three, two, and then tapped out. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't. I don't know. I was just a bit boring. Yeah, it felt very, very flat to me, and the fact that there wasn't like a standard length to the episodes I just felt like I didn't know what I was getting week to week and it just kept changing and I don't know there was just there wasn't enough other than the child who I thought is very very cute and every time he was in danger it was very very sad Uh, I just didn't there wasn't a thing that hooked me in but having said that season two trailer looks quite interesting what you you have seen this trailer what were your thoughts on it it looks more action-packed definitely does which is good and there are some nice touches of nostalgia with the x-wings yes and the jedi yes also seems to me like this isn't going to be more of a episode of the week that was again one of the things that i criticized about season one was every episode started with they're in space something happened he had to land on a planet they were in danger they escaped onto the next planet repeat Whereas that felt like there was more of a a way to drive the plot, which is you have to get this creature back to his people. So, uh, yeah, I'm just not sure how it's going to connect in with the films. Does he find Luke and give him Baby Yoda? And then what happens to Baby Yoda? I can't, that's the thing, because it can't really connect with the films any more than sort of tangentially, because we'd have seen... I like to call him Baby Yoda, but I'm trying to force myself to call him the child, which is his character name. Oh, um, Baby Yoda. <laughs> we would have seen him in the films, and we haven't. It couldn't be a her, in fact. We haven't seen it in the films. And if, I mean, because of the whole thing where Luke started to train Jedi, but then he stopped, and then they all sort of disappeared again. Yeah, true. So actually, it could have been there could be, I suppose, a un, unseen moment of the child being trained by Luke, potentially. But then where did they all go? You'd have to ask J.J. Abrams. Did they all go to the First Order? Did we get to see this First Order take order? I don't know. That's the interesting part about it being set between Return of the Jedi and Rise... Not Rise of the Skywalker. Fallen Awakens? Force Awakens! Whoa, that was difficult trying to find that one. That was a deep reach. Or maybe they all go off to Galaxy Far, Far Away? Even further away. I mean, it looks well made. The CGI is great. The the All of the visual effects look great. The child looks amazing, as always. The little bit where he leans forward and presses the button to shut himself in. It's got some nice kind of nostalgic Star Wars humour to it. I'm, I'm quietly confident that Series 2 will be better for me than Series 1. 
I've tried a couple of times to go back to that first batch of episodes and I just can't I just can't do it it's just that I don't know what it is it just got a mental block when it comes to getting into this series agreed The Mandalorian Season 2 will be coming to Disney Plus uh, globally, thankfully, on October the 30th. It is confirmed that it will launch globally. Obviously, Disney Plus didn't exist in the UK when the first season came out, but there was a lot of concern uh, because at the time that they were launching it internationally, they talked about not everything launching globally and there being staggered releases. So there was a thought of, are we going to be way behind America? Uh, But no, at least for The Mandalorian Season 2, we know that we will be getting it at the exact same time, day and date, as America. Next Disney Plus story is the first teaser trailer for Marvel's first live-action series, which is going to be coming later in 2020, we think around December time, which is Marvel's WandaVision. The series stars Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, who reprise their roles as Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, and Vision from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's also co-starring Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis from the Thor movies. It's got Randall Park as Jimmy Woo, and Teona Paris, who's playing an adult version of Monica Rambeau. Now, that name should ring a bell to you, but probably doesn't. Nope. Monica Rambeau is the the daughter from Captain Marvel. So, Captain Marvel's best friend's daughter. You know who helps her pick the colour of her costume in the film? Um... That's her grown up. You see her in just one shot of the trailer. So, that's her grown up. She has quite a pivotal role, which, if I read more Marvel comics, I'd probably know about, but I don't are really interested in how this looks. So this was supposed to be the second live-action series that Marvel were going to premiere. It should have been Falcon and Winter Soldier, which was actually due out August. It should have been out last month, but they had to postpone the last couple of weeks of uh, filming because of coronavirus, obviously, and they've only just got back to filming. So Falcon and Winter Soldier is officially delayed to 2021, and Division is still coming this year. It sounds like I'm saying Division, but I'm not. I'm saying WandaVision. I've just my BBC accent that's confusing. What did you think? Um, I don't know. I'm a bit confused. Are they dead? Why is it the 60s? Is it bewitched? So there's a shot in the trailer where you see her looking quite sort of miserable and grief-stricken and she's doing the kind of hand thing and kind of transforming stuff around her. So my theory on it is that obviously Vision's dead. We know that from Infinity War and Endgame. And that she is kind of using her powers to try and bring him back or just do something to help her remember him. And that she will uh, she will break the Marvel multiverse. So she is, to follow on from this, she's confirmed to co-star in the second Doctor Strange movie, which is called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So the, the kind of presumption is that she's going to meddle with reality to try and bring him back and get stuck in this weird bewitched style 60s bubble universe and that they're going to try and sort of figure their way through it to figure out what's going on which is why you've got one of the characters there saying am i dead you're dead because actually he probably is still dead at this point whether he will remain that way or not i don't know that's weird isn't it it's very weird that's a well it's just so many philosophical questions because he was never really real real (laughs) so where would he would he go to heaven? Does he have a soul? What is a soul? Well, interestingly, he's still got the gem on his forehead in that. He's got an infinity stone, which he shouldn't have anymore because they're, in theory, destroyed. Does so he I... go back in time and pluck them from well, somewhere? That's the thing. There, there's many ways that it could work. And that's why I'm quite interested by it because it feels like, for once, Marvel's done something that I can't quite figure out how it's going to end. Does Marvel have a multi-universe? Yeah, they do. They're, their Earths all have numbers, so I think... Somebody will tell me when I'm wrong on this, but I think the 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 bog standard, like Earth Prime of the Marvel Universe, I think is Marvel six one six. That's probably wrong. That's like the only number I know. They've got hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. Um, it's not a sort of limited factor like the DC one is. It's it's similar to how DC is thinking now in that everything is part of the multiverse. Okay. It's led to rumours... Is that a new thing? No, no, no. They've had it for... Essentially, both companies have been doing the same thing for years. They just attack it differently. DC spends a lot of time traversing their multiverse, whereas Marvel doesn't so much. Different series will be on different Earths and they don't interact as much. Spider-Verse 
is a good example of when Marvel does something that interacts. There were hundreds of Spider-Men and women and pigs and other things involved in that. And that's one of the big examples of Marvel crossing their own multiverse, but they don't they do not do it as often as, as DC do. Interesting. It's, so it's led to some really interesting rumours for um, Doctor Strange. There's a crazy one going around at the moment that Tom Cruise is going to appear as another universe version of Tony Stark. He was originally frontrunner before Robert Downey Jr. got the role. But that seems to have all come up in the wake of the whole thing about Nicolas Cage potentially being in the Flash movie, which is not a news story that I had uh, included in our news section today. But um, oh, you've just done it now. Mike has been dropped on that one. If you'd like to read a little bit more about that, the whole idea of what's going on with the Flash and that those cameos and that multiverse, then head over to the website www.getyourcomicon.co.uk and just search for The Flash. There is a very long list of potential cameos for that film. But I, I'm really I'm really interested in this. I have to say, I, Vision is not a character that I've been particularly interested in in the movies. I like Scarlet Witch, but I prefer if we got to see her full backstory of being the daughter of Magneto and that she's a mutant and that side of things. But who knows? Twisting the multiverse might just introduce mutants to the MCU. This could be a great gateway for them to bring in some of the new stuff that they've got access to. Oh, well, you've intrigued me, Marvel. Colour me intrigued. So, well, WandaVision doesn't have a release date yet, but we believe it's going to be coming in December. It's confirmed for a 2020 release, but it's just a later in 2020. I mean, we're in almost October, so it doesn't get much later than... December at this point. Last Disney Plus Marvel related news story for this week. Uh, this is a short, sharp one, but this is a congratulations to Orphan Black's Tatiana Maslany for being cast officially as Jennifer Walters slash She Hulk in the upcoming She Hulk live action series for Disney Plus. I love her in Orphan Black. I think she's amazing. That's one of my favourite series of recent years. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how she adapts to something a little bit less dark and twisty. I'm going to guess that she doesn't have to play ten versions of herself in this one. So it'll be probably be a bit of a, a break for her. Um, she's been welcomed by a bunch of uh, Marvel and other A-listers, but I quite liked the tweet from Mark Ruffalo who um, who welcomed his cuz to the MCU. Which I thought was quite sweet. He is rumoured to appear in at least a couple of episodes of the She-Hulk series because the the kind of the official origin story for her is that she's in an accident, and due to that, I have a feeling they're kidnapped and she's been in an accident. Uh, that might just be how it was done in the Hulk animated series. But he ends up giving her a blood transfusion to keep her alive, knowing full well that it'll probably do something to her, and that's how She-Hulk is created. Though, so, going to be really interesting. We don't know a lot about that show as yet. It's still in the development phase but really great piece of casting really excited to see what happens and i hope for her and her profile within the industry she also gets to uh, cross over to some of the films because she hulk is a part-time member of the avengers so be really great for her i mean she won an emmy for orphan black but i think she's just an amazing actress so it would be great to see her get to spend some time on the big screen okay I say you probably don't have much to say on this one, do you? I don't know anything about She-Hulk. <laughs> we'll move on to that one. Last news story for this week is a confirmation of something that we've been expecting for a very, very long time now, which is that DC Universe is changing. From January 2021, DC Universe will become DC Universe Infinite. So it's dropping all of its uh, homegrown scripted series. I was going to say live action series, but you've got Young Justice and Harley Quinn. It's going to be all of the video content, which is currently on DC Universe, is going to be migrating to HBO Max. All of the legacy materials, the animated series, the movies, the the old 90s and older TV series will all go to HBO Max. And then Harley Quinn, Doom Patrol, Titans and Young Justice will all become HBO Max exclusives. Interestingly, they are also getting the first series of Stargirl because it's still licensed for streaming. So although season two will be a CW exclusive, um, season one will remain HBO Max because they still have some interactivity between the two. DC Universe Infinite will be available in America only to begin with from January and will become a premium comics subscription service. It will still cost $7.99 per month. Some of DC's digital first series will go there before it goes to market. And they are, we understand, 
toying with the idea of getting closer to being up to date with other series too. So at the moment, DC Universe is around six months behind on your kind of mainstream Batman, detective comics, action comics, all of those. But there is talk that they will get closer to being up to date to keep it more of a um, kind of impactful up to date service. The other exciting news is that from summer 2021, DC Universe Infinite will, uh, I don't want to say go global because they've not confirmed which countries yet, but it will be going international. It will be spreading to other markets and we will most likely then finally have access to it. What do you think about this kind of, Marvel has the same thing as well, I think it's called Marvel Ultimate, Um, this sort of premium level access to a back catalogue of comics. Is it something that interests you? I find I there's tons of stuff that I'd love to d- kind of dip into that and read, but I don't necessarily have time because I'm reading too much that's new. I think it makes sense to move all the live action-y stuff, all that content to HBO. Yeah, I agree. Because it's a bigger, it's a wider market. The amount of money it must cost to make shows like Titans and Doom Patrol, in fact, any of those shows, it makes sense to get them somewhere where they get to see a bigger audience. Or yeah. bigger audience get to see them, should I say. And it's probably better marketing for them because then they don't have to, because if HBO Max becomes international, they then don't have to sort of farm everything out to Amazon and Netflix. That would be nice if we if we could get it all in one place like they do. So then they can spit up the gas, we've got everything, stuff you, everybody else. <laughs> and then you can keep the really, really niche stuff as the comics for people who are really interested in that. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know does. if I would... That was going to be my next question. Is that something you would subscribe to? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff to subscribe to. <laughs> and I don't know if I would want to... It's probably just the Scottishness of me. I don't want to continue to pay for new comics and then pay an additional subscription fee for old comics with the odd digital first yeah whereas i could just buy what you want to read a collected graphic yeah. novel when i fancy to read it yeah or just wait for you to buy it because you tend to do it anyway it's quite a character dangle having t- so it will have twenty four thousand comics at launch which you're like 7.99 a month twenty four thousand comics that's pretty that's pretty sweet to be fair but it's yeah it's finding the time to be able to read all of that and actually make great use of it it's still going to keep all of its community aspects as well which it has at the moment because it's built a really great community over the last two years um it's just yeah they they need to put those shows in a in a better platform where more people can access them and i just i don't quite know how i feel about having like you just said paying a subscription for for the stuff that i want to read when it comes out and then paying an additional subscription for stuff I might read if I get time. Because that's a lot of stuff you might read. I, I mean, I'm bad enough. I've spent, I've so I have totted up that I've so far read 52 graphic novels. That's, that's a good DC number. Um, across lockdown, since so since March. So six months. I've read 52 graphic novels that I, and none of those have I bought during this period. They're all things I've bought in the last two years and have not read. So that tells me I probably shouldn't have access to everything else. Maybe. I mean, how many have you got left to go? Uh, we're under 20 now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe when you finish that 20, we can have a We'll have a conversation. Is that is that a situation where I need to put in a business case? Yes, put in a business case. Yeah. Right. Okay. We will keep you up to date on news as to when DC Universe Infinite will come to the UK, but at the moment it is going to hit the uh, American market from January 2021. Watch this space. You will very soon have DC Universe. That is everything for the news this week. So I wanted, before we dive in on our Tenet review, to just have a quick conversation about DC Fandom Part 2, otherwise known as DC Fandom Explore the Multiverse. I didn't feel this was necessary to dedicate an entire podcast to because it was less of um, a headline-generating kind of exclusive reveal-by-reveal-by-reveal look at DC. Instead, I personally feel like this was more of a opening the doors and allowing 
fans to see how DC works and a lot of what goes on to bring books to the shelf or TV shows to the screen. What were your thoughts on Fandom Explore the Multiverse? I was pleasantly surprised at the level of content and depth of it all. And the little added extras as well. How so? Well, you got those little... No, did you get the little short cartoons? No, that was in the first one. That was in the first one. <laughs> um, well, then I wasn't that overwhelmed. No, it was good. Um, there was a lot. There was a lot of stuff to watch. Uh, a lot. Yes. A lot of stuff. In I, quite a short period of time. I overdid it. I did four hours on the Saturday night when it started. And then I did ten hours on the Sunday of just solid panel to panel to panel to panel to panel. And it, yeah, I didn't really feel capable of uh, intelligent thought afterwards. I liked that there was a lot of short panels, like yeah. 10 minutes here and there. And the Q&As were all fairly short as well. Some of those were sort of only one, two minutes. It was just one question or one or two questions, which I thought was really nice as well, rather than overloading you with sort of an hour-long panel and then a half an hour-long Q&A. Yeah, and I liked that. I would have liked it to be a bit more comic-y, so that when we go... So when we've been to like New York or San Diego Comic Con, yep. I, I quite like the meet the publishers yeah. and the draw with Jim and getting to see what's coming out comic wise. There was that. actually a few drawing with Jim panels that we didn't, and actually there were a few artist spotlights we didn't do as well. Oh. There were in the Inside Verse, there was a, a few short bios on some of the creative people at DC, but because they weren't focusing on a specific piece of like we're talking about death metal or we're talking about what's happening in superman i didn't get around to those they were on the if i still have time list but you're right i do i was still happy with the amount of comics content we got so i watched the death metal panel i watched the panel on rorschach i watched what else did i watch um i don't know (laughs) it's difficult there's a there's a fog of dc-ness in my brain about how much i watched but there was a little bit more of a, a twist towards tv uh and I liked that it wasn't, like I just said, it wasn't generating headline after headline after headline. I didn't end up spending the rest of Sunday or that week having to write up everything that happened. Instead, I just learned a lot about how DC works, which I really liked. Mm, that was good, yeah. And I did like some of the TV panel stuff, like the Titans panel with yeah. the little tidbits. The Doom Patrol panel, which was a good... Stargirl panel, quite like, that was good. Yep, uh, the Superman Man of Tomorrow panel featuring friend of the show, Tim Sheridan, was also lovely. Yes. What else did we watch? We watched everything. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. It's all blurred. I watched a documentary about Jim Lee and the life of Jim, talking about how he got into the business and how he got to where he was. It was just, it was an endless amount of content for all the different areas of DC that you might want to look into. And I, it was interesting because I was reading some of the reactions of people online and there were people that were disappointed that it wasn't as A-list and heavy-hitting as the Hall of Heroes section. But if you think about San Diego Comic-Con, like you just said, we don't just go to, here's a reveal of a new trailer, here's a reveal of a new TV show. There is plenty of stuff like Meet the Publishers where you go and you sit and you just talk about the fact that you love comics. And that's what they did. Had it all been together as one day like it was originally envisioned as, it would have been like a normal Comic-Con. You would have had the A-list stuff and the big reveals, and then you would have had the deep dives as well. And I felt this was one massive deep dive. But I, I really I really liked it. Once again, I thought it was filmed really well. I thought it was presented really well. I bought more merchandise. <laughs> Take all my money, DC. I'm kind of glad it wasn't all in one day because it would never, you could never have done No, you would never day. have watched as much as we managed to watch in one day, unfortunately. Uh, it was it was clever that they programmed so much in. Let's hope we get to do it again next year. Yeah, I'd like a bit more interactivity, DC. Yeah. Maybe, but then it's a logistical nightmare to host live sessions with interactivity. Especially with the global Globally. audience as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I understand why they did it the way they did, but I can also understand why it would be nice to have some more interactivity to it. We'll be giving some of your opinions on what you thought of DC Fandom in our discussion topic at the end of this uh, podcast. But if you didn't get in touch with us, or you would like to get in touch with us to tell you what you thought about it, you can find us on social media at Get Your Comic Con. 
on to our movie review for this episode, and we are talking about a hot topic on everyone's melted brain, which is written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Tenet stars John David Washington as the protagonist, Robert Pattinson as the beautifully named Neil, Elizabeth Debicki as Cat, and Kenneth Branagh as the villainous Sater. There's also little cameos from, um, I was about to call him Kickass, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Christopher Nolan's favourite actor, I'm going to guess, Michael Caine. I don't know that I can possibly come up with a synopsis for this film. Um, it's stuff. part forwards, part backwards. Yeah, stuff some happened. stuff happens. <laughs> some of it's blue, some of it's red. Yep. It's got some really cool music in it by Ludwig Göransson, who won an Oscar for his score to uh, Black Panther. And um, I loved this film, and you're not sure what you thought about it. Yeah, I mean, it was all right. I don't really have a lot to say, really, other than it was all right. In the pantheon of Christopher Nolan movies, um, where would this sit? Better or worse than um, Interstellar? Um, I don't really... I don't think I can answer that as a better or worse. Okay. It's just different. It's not... I would sort of say in my pantheon, I would have Inception as... Loved it. Yep. And I would have Interstellar and Tenant. 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 Not Tenant. It's not Renton. As like, okay... A bit too filmy for me. <laughs> That's fair enough. And I just find it really hard to buy into it. I'm like, oh god, filminess is happening. Filminess is happening. What is filminess? It's like really high concept, like it's like super intelligentness. <laughs> not super. Not not the word I'm trying to think of. It's been a very long day. Where it's like trying... So, like, Interstellar is, like, high-concept 80s sci-fi. Yeah. Where I'm in a black hole and I'm in, like, an infinity box changing time. And it's really slow and not a lot really happens. But it's all high-concept and really, like, visually stunning. So it thinks it's intelligent, even though it might not necessarily be intelligent. Yeah. Almost pretentious, in a way. Yeah, a little bit. But I wouldn't say pretentious, because that's mean. And then with... I can't say it. Tenant. Tenant? Yeah. Yeah, not tenant. I get a tenant's longer. You might need one after you see it. Um, where I'm just to be like, I don't really understand what's going on. He's gone forward. He's gone backwards. It didn't start at the finish. And then there's so many unanswered questions. And what's happening? Why is there a box? I don't really get it. <laughs> oh, dear. It's like if James Bond and Doctor Who had a spin-off. In the 80s. Yep. With a really high budget. Yep. I think that's probably how you would get there. Maybe. Okay. You don't even so convinced by your own thoughts on the film. No. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's just probably the best I could explain it, really. And that's not explaining it very well at all. It had good action. It certainly did. Uh, it convinced me that Robert Partson could be a really good Batman. Absolutely. And it convinced me that I would like his hair. He does have very good hair. And that's probably about it, really. Don't ask me about the story. I'm not 100% convinced what happened. I understand that the end is the beginning and the middle it all switched, but that's probably about it, really. Okay. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> would you like to ask me what I thought? Um, yeah, you're probably going to go into some really long filmy spiel. I was going to give you my verdict for my review that you can read over on the website, which is, Tenet is yet another outstanding cinematic experience from Christopher Nolan. Its complex narrative provides a hugely rewarding experience for viewers able to throw out all sense of disbelief. Nine out of ten. Yep, filmy review. (laughs) A filmy review for a filmy film. I... I... 
I reckon that my experience of this film was slightly enhanced by the fact that it was my first press screening post-COVID, or should I say, between Surge 1 and Surge 2 of COVID. So that was quite exciting for me, I think. And I got to see it in IMAX. And I, that's kind of why I would almost like you to see it again and for you to be able to see it in IMAX to see if the experience is any different uh, for that extra like slice of image at the top and bottom. But it was just very exciting. Apart from the fact that I think I saw it on an actual projected film reel of IMAX because a spider wandered over the projector at one point and there was a big old shadow and it was quite scary. But that aside... I wouldn't call it a masterpiece. I wouldn't go that far. I think I'd come fairly close, but not quite. I do think there are some issues with it. I think I had issues with bits of the dialogue, especially the scene where the protagonist meets um, the lady scientist, whose name escapes me off the top of my head. After Susan. (laughs) Karen, after he meets Karen, who explains to him the theory of inversion. I felt, I think that you can, throughout the film, hear that Christopher Nolan's a big fan of, like, 60s spy movies. So, like, the espionage movies of early Bonds and that 60s era. And we know that he's good at that high-concept science fiction that you were just talking about. And he tried to meld the two together. And I think it fell down in some of the dialogue because I felt like the dialogue was a bit hokey to go with a concept that required it to be and I said this to you afterwards didn't I I said although I could although I was cognizant of the fact that it was quite cheesy dialogue I felt like if he dumbed it down it wouldn't have worked because it's such a complex and although it's not a complex film because it is in some respects easy to follow that parts of it are forwards and parts of it are backwards and it flips in the middle it's still a, a complex idea to wrap your head around. And I think if you don't go like whole hog and completely stand with that idea, then it ends up being less functional than it is. I've done that thing. I've given a really long answer. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, it was all right. I didn't like the end because it didn't really answer the question. And I don't like the whole where it started in the orchestra, mm-hmm. which was clearly the end. Mm-hmm. But it didn't end there. <laughs> because so you didn't get the full story. Yeah, I didn't like that. I was like, well, you've just sort of said, oh, it starts at the end, but then didn't. We did lend some things on Doctor Who, because as I keep saying to people, um, Robert Pattinson's character is essentially River Song. The protagonist is the Doctor and Neil is River Song. All they're missing is the, the romance. Yes, which wasn't necessarily not there. It's true. I liked Kenneth Branagh as a pantomime villain. I loved the score. I loved the action. I loved the concept. I just, I think as an overall product, it was excellent, but flawed. I love the whole idea of inversion, though. I, I could, I've spent quite a bit of time since then reading scientific papers on the subject. Oh, God, no. I mean, what does the science say? Ridiculous? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. None of it made sense to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Helpful. As a as an idea of time travel, though, I think it is the most logical idea of how time travel could work if time travel was real. The whole idea of jumping in a blue box and travelling back in time, and, oh my god, I'm stood amongst the dinosaurs because I travelled back in time, seems really, really fantastical, because it is fantastical to me, whereas the idea that we're somehow able to turn time around and just experience time backwards seems more plausible to me see i would say they're probably just as equal really yeah you'd have more intriguing to me falling into a black hole and ending up behind a bookcase also potentially proved to be real well not the bookcase bit but that things do go into a black hole and actually do go somewhere has potentially just been proven as well well i could i believe that because just because we don't know what's in there doesn't mean it doesn't go somewhere (laughs) you believe it because brian cox said it well you know energy is not destroyed it goes somewhere yes you can't stop energy. I find it intriguing that you don't think that you think it's as fantastical to move backwards through time as jumping backwards decades. 
Well, you're doing the same thing. You're just getting to the end points in a slightly different. I suppose, way. yeah. You would. You. I suppose you could, in theory, say that. Again, I'm using the TARDIS as an example. Just turns time around and fast forwards it. I guess it's the idea that in um, Tenet, we experience time normally but backwards. I think it's probably what makes it more plausible for me that there isn't a massive jump. I can get my head around. I can travel backwards through the time in which I'm alive, but I can't go see Henry VIII. Yeah, but then they never really explained how the future were sending stuff to the past. No, that's in. I guess in theory, they well, okay. I'm coming up with this off the top of my head, but they were in. So the bullets were inverted. So I suppose if you invert an object, that object will just travel backwards through time. It will exist in a going in a backwards motion and always be there. So is they saying that they would then bury some, invert something, bury it somewhere, bury it somewhere, and then eventually it would just pop up. So the only that's the only thing I don't quite understand is sending messages. I don't understand how an inad, an inanimate object that doesn't have the ability to physically move yep. still moves back in time and location. You see it because a bullet moves backwards in time. Oh, I'm about to go cross-eyed. So that microphone in front of you right now will stay there unless you move it. It, As time passes for us, it doesn't go anywhere. So if you were to turn time backwards, it wouldn't go anywhere unless you were to do something with it. So you could invert that microphone and it won't go anywhere. It will stay there until someone does something with it. It puts a lot of onus on putting it somewhere for i don't know how long has it been how far into the future were they they never really said several generations yeah so you're talking like a hundred years which i guess is why they buried it in that abandoned part of russia because no one would go there oh yeah they put it in the well you mean yeah again a hundred years yeah that's a long i mean a, a squirrel could come along and move it <laughs> i know but a radioactive badger. I, I guess that's know. why you need to suspend your idea of disbelief. But for me, it does. It it all feels a Christopher Nolan level of plausible, which I think is why I, I like his high concept science fiction because I feel like he makes it more plausible than more fantastical films do. Because it's more rooted in the actual science of it all. Yeah, I think he's got real as well, isn't it? In, in I dream within dreams all the time, which I find horrific. The amount of times I wake up and then realise I've woken up in another dream is horrendous. Generally, whenever I have a nightmare, I wake up and I've not really woken up. I meant more like sharing dreams, not just sleeping habits. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Presumably there is some science that it is rooted in, I would imagine. Hmm. I reckon that's probably enough um, spoon bending. Spoon bending? Mind bending. You've just... I've turned you into Yuri Geller for this. What would you... So I gave it 9 out of 10. What would you score into Stella? I don't think... Aha! Tenet! I've Christopher Nolan to myself out. I, I, I can't score it. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Oh. It's unscorable. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't know. Wow. It was alright. Would I see it again? Mm, no. In the cinema, I would definitely wouldn't see it again in the cinema. Would I watch it again at home? Maybe. But I wouldn't rush to watch it again at home. But I'm not saying it's bad. Okay. But I'm not saying it's good either. It's just not for you? It's just not for me. Hmm. It's like if you made me watch... I don't know. It's like if I made you watch a musical. <sighs> Oh, no, well, that's a bad analogy because you don't like musicals. Because <laughs> I did not like this. That's true. I was just a bit like... You've Christopher Nolan yourself in trying to explain your feelings on the film. I've just inceptioned the score. Of course, Tenet isn't the only film which is in the cinema at the moment, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some recommendations from myself in terms of films which I have watched recently, uh, which I think you should all be going to check out. So I picked out just a couple because I've been watching quite a lot of random uh, films recently. I've been very, very lucky in terms of what has been sent to me to watch, as well as uh, the opportunities that we've had to actually go to the cinema while they've been reopened, albeit briefly. We'll see how that lasts. 
First film that I wanted to talk to you about is a Shudder original, which is called Spiral. Now, this was actually produced in 2019, but has just hit Spiral here in the UK as of last week. You can read a review on the website from Dave, who is one of our new team members. But I also wanted to give this a watch because I thought there was some important subtext to this. I also wanted to give this one a watch because I thought there was going to be some important subtext to this one. So let me read you the synopsis and then I'll I'll quickly talk you through uh, the, the cast and crew. So Spiral centres on a same-sex couple who move to a small town so that they can enjoy a better quality of life and raise their 16-year-old daughter with the best social values. But nothing is as it seems in their picturesque neighbourhood. When Malik sees the folks next door throwing a very strange party, something shocking has got to give. That's a very strange summary. Thank you, IMDb. It's directed by Curtis David Harder and written by Colin Minahan and John Poliquin. The film stars Jeffrey Boyer Chapman... Ari Cohen, Jennifer Laporte, Lachlan Monroe, and Chandra West. It also stars Ty Wood and Thomas Elms. The reason that I wanted to pick this up was it's right there in the in the synopsis. This is a horror film, but it's a horror film based around a same-sex couple, and it's just not something that you see very often in cinema. And also the fact that part of the horror element of the storyline actually takes a stab at dealing with homophobia and societal impressions of same-sex couples, which is what really sparked my interest with it. And actually, the way that it's implemented is really interesting, just because it does have some more fantastical elements, which I will get to in just a second, but there is still quite an important message underneath the film, which is uh, also set in 1995, I should say, which does talk about how... Uh, and I'm, I'm going to say how America, just because it is set in America and feels very culturally based in, in America, is how they look at same-sex couples, how they are accepted into your kind of uh, white picket fence American community, and how that can, in some cases, become a a battle or a uh, a a fight with one's own inner demons, as is the case here, uh, both literal and uh, psychological, as it might be. So Jeffrey Boyer Chapman kind of shoulders the entire of this film as Malik. He has quite a difficult background, uh, which is part of flashbacks which are littered throughout the film. He is now in a stable long-term relationship with Aaron, played by Ari Cohen, who is also the father of Jennifer Laporte's character, Kayla. So Aaron has previously been married and had Kayla. She's now around 16 years old. He's separated from his wife and is now in a long-term relationship with Malik, and they have moved to this new uh, country house, this new kind of slightly more picturesque suburb. But as is the case with so many horror films, uh, all is not what it seems. So a story unfolds which has quite a few different levels to it. You have... Malik's psychological, I guess PTSD is probably the right way to put it, based on experiences that he had when he was younger and was coming out. And then there is an added layer of supernatural horror in terms of this odd local cult, I guess, and what they are doing, which you think kind of has a reason, and you feel like the movie is signposting you to a certain place, only as you hit the third act, it just... um, What's the right way to put this? It uh, it goes a little bit nuts and escalates really, really quickly in every single facet of the storyline. And uh, it comes to a conclusion which I was, uh, let's say, not expecting in the least. But it's a very satisfying film to watch. There are a few issues with it. There are a few strange dangling plot threads. There was some very odd stuff with, uh, with demons who appear and disappear and are never seen again. And it's hard to know whether those are supposed to be figurative or literal. But I just think this is a film to get behind because it has an important message. And it's a very different type of film because of the subject matter that it tackles. And I think that's probably all I'm going to say about that one. It's definitely one that I want people to go and see and talk about. So if you've seen it, or if you listen to this and decide that you're going to go and see it... Get in touch with me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at NeilVag, or you can find us in general at Get Your Comic On on every platform. And let me know what you thought of it because it's it's just it's in it's an interesting one. It just it's it's interesting. <laughs> That's all I need to say. Uh, watch it. It's available now. It's on uh, the streaming service Shudder. 
lo and behold, my other recommendation that I want to talk about is also a horror film. This one is called The Block Island Sound. I saw it as part of the Fantasia International Film Festival that I recently took part in. Uh, it's a film festival based out of Montreal in Canada that is... Uh, it shows off some of the finest films from from all across the world of genre. So there's martial arts, there's horror, there's sci-fi, there's fantasy. And The Block Island Sound was my absolute number one pick of the festival. You can read my full review over on the website. But this one, uh, the synopsis is, Something terrifying is happening off the coast of Block Island. A strange force is thriving, influencing residents and wildlife alike. It's directed by Kevin and Matthew McManus, who also wrote the script. It stars... Chris Sheffield and Michaela McManus in the two lead roles. There's a bunch of other supporting players as well, but the film really centres on the two of them. It's uh, it's that great kind of escalating horror that has a mystery from the very, very beginning, and you just have absolutely no idea where it's going to go for most of the runtime. It's really, really stylistic. It's shot beautifully, and the landscape of Block Island is just... It's really quite luscious and feels like a kind of high budget indie drama and then you quickly realize that actually there's there's a lot more going on and that actually part of this everything else that's going on is just it it was just so much fun so much fun to watch and to discover what's going on I in my review on the website my verdict for it was the block island sound lands with an immersive mystery stellar visuals and a third act twist which will melt your mind quite literally actually based on the storyline it's um it basically doesn't treat the audience as stupid at any point. Right from the very beginning, you're thrown into the mystery and you're left to not really understand exactly what's going on and to, to learn what is happening alongside the characters. Uh, so I said it has a laser-like focus on that core mystery. It's it's really Harry's story with sister Audrey. Uh, so Harry is played by Chris Sheffield and Audrey is played by Michaela McManus. And... She gets dragged into this journey, which seems like a descent into madness, which seemed to be a theme of the films that I watched at Fantasia, actually. But you kind of have hints all the way through it that actually maybe he's not going mad and there's something more going on, particularly through this recurring droning sound that's used as part of the the sound design of the film. And again, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it because this is the kind of film that I want people to watch and discover what's happening for themselves. But... I, I really don't think that you will ever see coming what actually happens at the end of this film. And kind of, it's that kind of thing where I would love to see more so that I could understand more. But the fact that I don't understand is also a really positive aspect of having watched the film. I I thought about it for a long time afterwards, thinking what on earth could it actually, or maybe not earth as the case might be, um, could have been behind the, that central mystery. And it's just... Very intriguing by that respect, and if there was to be more from that world, I would gladly take it. Otherwise, I will just think about it to my merry self until the end of time. It doesn't currently have a UK release date, but hopefully we'll see the light of day very, very soon, post-pandemic. As soon as I can tell you where you'll be able to watch it, then I absolutely will. Uh, So I guess I've just given you a real good tease for a film that you can't technically go and watch at the moment, which feels a little bit cruel. But please, please, please keep an eye out for it. Go watch the trailer. It's on YouTube. You can see it on our website as well. I embedded it in my review. It's just, it's so, so worth a watch as and when you get chance to be able to watch it. So that is The Block Island Sound and Spiral, my two huge recommendations, particularly as we're heading into October and Halloween time as well, because let's face it, horror films are exactly what we need at this time of year. So go check them out. Now, we said that we wanted to bring back comic book reviewing because we haven't really touched on comic books for a while in this podcast, which has comic in the title, which is probably not very good, is it? No. And from this episode onwards, I would like us both to bring a comic book to review, but I'm just conscious that, you know, you've been deep, or a book, uh, which is uh, why I didn't ask you this time, because I know you you are deep in um, the Ballad of Songs and Snakes. Is that what it's called? The Hunger Games prequel book. Oh, yeah. What did I call that? I called it Hunger Games Catching the Cold. Yes. Yeah, because I can't remember what it was called. Hunger Games Catching COVID. Ooh. Controversial. <clears throat> so I would like you to bring that book to us, actually. But then after that, you're on you're on comic book juicy, young man. Oh, yeah. I'm nearly finished anyway. It's getting better. That's good. It was a bit of a slow starter. This is a spoiler for your review. 
Oh yeah, sorry. You'll be reviewing it in two weeks' time in our next podcast. Let's say that. Let's get let's light a fire under you to finish that book. Oh god. Well, we finished it by then. So in the meantime, it's just me for a comic book this week, and I am holding the book that I'm going to be reviewing, which is Teen Titans Beast Boy, which is the follow-up to Teen Titans Raven by New York Times best-selling author Cami Garcia and artist Gabriel Piccolo. This book. Uh, well, I say it's a sequel to Teen Titans Raven. It actually takes place at the same time. So Raven isn't in this book. This isn't a meeting between the two of them. Uh, the next book in this series is going to be Teen Titans semicolon Beast Boy Loves Raven, which will finally see the two of them meet up. And you do get a little snippet of that at the back of this book. But this is essentially a... I guess it's a companion because it's happening at the same time. And this is the story of Gar Logan. Similar setup to Teen Titans Raven... You're getting an origin story for him. You're getting to meet him, understand the world that he lives in, and seeing him uh, develop his powers for the very first time. So there's a little bit of shape-shifting. There's a little bit of superhero-ness in here. But it's also a really nice, low-key sort of story about growing up and being a, a teenager, being a teen titan. Where Raven is a bit more of a sad story because she deals with the death of her her family and essentially growing up with a with an adoptive family. Beast Boy is a much, as you would expect if you if you know the character, is a much more upbeat tale. The, the sort of underlying message is one about uh, body confidence and self-image. Gar, despite being um, a little bit older in high school, is still mistaken for somebody much, much younger. He's got a very small body, a very slender frame, and he spends much of the book trying to improve his own aesthetic and and bulk up so that he can just be recognized as the teenager that he is and that doesn't happen until his powers come to the fore and there's obviously a story behind that which is still tied to his comic book origin which you can probably recite off the top of your head am i right Mm, vaguely congo disease yeah it's slightly different green monkey green monkey congo disease it's slightly adapted here and it's it's a it's tailored more towards the the YA audience but before I get down to it my my review is up on the website as always my verdict is with Teen Titans Beast Boy Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo have once again struck gold their retelling of Gar Logan's origin story is heartwarming and hilarious it's a coming of age story set within the DC universe 8 out of 10 I kind of decided today that I feel almost bad giving scores to things because I loved this book and Cami Garcia shared my review for it, but I feel bad that it's not a 10 out of 10. I almost want to say to her, it's not that I didn't think that there was anything more that you could do. It's just I have to arbitrarily give things a score. And, it, you know, I loved it, but it wasn't like the greatest book I've ever read. But that's probably part of the pain of being a reviewer. You have not read this yet. No, I'm not a massive fan of the... The YAs? The YAs. You've read Raven. I read Raven. What did you think of that? It was all right. It was very YA. <laughs> When we are no longer in this world and people talk about the legend of the Geico podcast or visit your monument, it's just going to say, here lies Martin Galligan. It's all right. I mean, I don't know what else you want me to say, really. That's just, it was all right. This is an interesting step forwards. So the artwork is slightly pushed forwards. There's more use of colour. Raven, um, actually during the, the, the DC fandom panel for this book, Cami Garcia talked about the fact that she pushed Gabriel to do more background work because that's what he sees as his flaw and this is a this is a more intricately designed book there is more going on in the background there's more color to it Raven was very black and white with hints of purple and yes there is still major hints of green throughout this book as kind of a primary color for for Gar but it's it's overall it's got more depth to the artwork which is really nice it's nice to see his artwork develop and I mean that in a nice way I don't mean he was naff before and now he's getting a bit better. I mean, Raven looks great and this looks even better. But it's also just, like I said, it's a really nice story. It's got Deathstroke in it again, which I'm really intrigued by. So he was a supporting player in the Raven story, very much in the background, and he's the same here. There is somebody pulling the strings who's sent Deathstroke after these powered teens. And I wonder where that's going to go. And I'm going to guess that means there's a plan for the future. Whether that future is Beast Boy Loves Raven or... Teen Titans Cyborg, Teen Titans Robin, Teen Titans Starfire in the future. Probably. It's probably a Hive thing. It could be a Hive thing, yeah. Um, it, it's not overtly signposted, which I really like as well. It's it's just 
it's a multi-layered story which is very interesting there's some really great visual cues in this book as well. So when uh, when Gar shapeshifts, I'm trying to find one of the pages. If you can hear some little sort of page flicking going on in the background, that's me trying to find one of the specific pages so that you can see what happens. They show things like strands of DNA on the page and show how it connects from human to animal, which I realise is not a real life science thing, but it's a it's just a nice visual flair that gets added to the shape-shifting scenes because it's not like this is a live action or an animation where you can see him transform it's just a nice visual language for for visualizing his his powers overall it just has me really intrigued for what they can do with the rest of the teen titans universe in terms of a a book which is obviously not aimed at me but i also still find really exciting to read they do a really great job of fleshing out the world as well it's not heavily reliant on, and this is great for a YA audience as well, it's not heavily reliant on you having 20, 25 years of DC Comics knowledge in the back of your head like we do. There are original characters who inhabit this world that make it more well-rounded and more realised, which are identifiable to a, to a contemporary audience as well. It's nice that there's a an important message that's lying underneath it. Hmm. Accessible, yeah, yes. informative. Absolutely. Have I intrigued you enough that you might read it? No. Oh, wonderful. Uh, what do I need to do in order to get you to read it? Nothing. I mean, it's not a bad thing that I don't want to read it. It's just I've got other things on my list <laughs> yes. that I uh, haven't really caught up on. And I'm unlikely I'll get down to it. Maybe if I've got like a week off with nothing to do and I find myself with a, a nice quiet afternoon, I might venture to it. But I wouldn't, I'm not rushing to read it. It'll be lying on the bookshelf, ready and waiting for you. When I read Raven, that was fine. It was all right. It was all right. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I, would, I wouldn't rush back. Because again, it's not really for me. Because I'm not a YA anymore. I'm a, an old man that's clearly very grumpy. I wouldn't. Don't put yourself down. Uh, I know what you mean, though. It. I When I started reading these YA books, I did feel like actually... Do I have a right to review this because I'm I'm not a young adult? But at the same time, I do I do think there's a lot that you can get from reading them. Just if you're a fan of these characters, agreed. Teen Titans Beast Boy is available in stores and on digital now. You've heard what we thought about DC Fandom Part Two, but we asked you what you thought. So I put an up for discussion topic out on social media, which said, what were your thoughts on DC Fandom Part 2? Your highlights, your favourite panels, missed opportunities, let us know. Thank you to the uh, 72 of you who got in touch to say, Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn. Why was... And varying sort of different ways of saying, why was there no Season 3 announcement? When will we hear about Season 3? What's going on with Season 3 of Harley Quinn? What's happening with Harley Quinn? Because now you know, Harley Quinn Season 3 is coming and it is coming to HBO Max. Woo! But as for the other responses that we had, uh, we had at Claire, I always say at Claire Payne, that's not true, Gothamite Claire, who says, I really enjoyed how I had control over what I wanted to watch. Pennyworth panel was very good with exciting news for season two. I loved revisiting the behind the scenes documentaries about Gotham, Batman Returns and how they made the costumes. The free comics available, downloadable wallpapers were also great. DC Fandom was a great success. More next year, please. Max Byrne, at Maxi Byrne, says, McFarlane Toys, baby, which I replied with, yes, they can just take all our money because it's McFarlane Toys and they can have all of our money because we love them. At We Have a Hulk Pod said, I still can't get over how much content there was. Liked how it focused more on TV and comic books along with the Q&As and celebrating the fans. Personal highlights were Doom Patrol, of course, and the Watchmen panel, very excited for the upcoming Rorschach comic book. Earth9 said, really enjoyed the Doom Patrol panel, but that's because I could talk about that show forever. It was nice to officially meet our new Batwoman as well. That was actually it. Not many of you got in touch with your comments this time, so bad super friends. We'd like more of you to get in touch next time. So if you have any ideas about uh, topics for discussion or anything that you would like to say to get involved or any comments you'd just like us to read out, then please do get in touch. You can contact us via the feedback form on the website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk, 
Or, of course, you can tweet us at GetYourComicCon or send us a message on Instagram, also at GetYourComicCon. You can find me everywhere as at Neil Vag, and you can find Martin as at BoyWonder1989. That about wraps things up for this week's Get Your Comic Con podcast, episode number 41. So, what's coming up next time? Well, I'll talk about the Hunger Games book. I will find another comic book to review myself as well. I will try and pick something non-DC because we are trying to diversify. We talked a lot about Marvel today. And we did. Plus. I, I made a concerted effort to ensure that the news um, was not entirely DC. Although I did organise it so there was a DC story, story at the start and the end. Uh, like Tenant. Tenant. Well, I'm going to go for Tenant. Because <laughs> it's easier to say. Rolls off the tongue. I don't know what else we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks. I've just watched The Haunting of Bly Manor for Netflix. I'm allowed to talk about that one from 12.01am PST, which is 8.01 BST, on October the 5th. So I might talk about that one. I've also been watching more of The Boys screeners, Lovecraft Country, but I'm saving that for when the season is over. I think we need to talk about that one in one whole go. But there's a there's a few things floating around in the pipeline that we might well be talking about. I don't like to make a list too seriously at this point, because we might... I bet if we went back and listened to old podcasts, we probably don't cover half the things that I say we'll cover in the next episode. No, probably. Things change. Be more fluid. <laughs> we should just say, next time we'll talk about some comics, some TV and some film. Yeah. Some stuff will happen. Stuff will happen. Maybe we'll be a little bit less tired. Uh, but right now, uh, just to give a bit of a timestamp on when we recorded this, we're off to watch The Great British Bake Off. Very excited. We could talk about that. We could, but I don't think that fits with the uh, the theme. We could talk about a, a sponge all day. <laughs> Until next time, thank you for listening. Feel free to get in touch if you've got suggestions, comments, questions ideas for topics for future podcasts we are always open to listening to what you want to say out there thanks for listening bye oh that was a yawning goodbye